0: on today's podcast lee hacksaw hamilton we'll talk about the changing landscape in sports media we'll hear some of lee's old good stories and of course we'll talk about the 2015 padres this is the feb 2nd edition of the intelligence podcast to another edition of the Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined, as always, by Padres Jagoff.
1: Yes, we are here in our first on-location podcast. Indeed, we are joined by San Diego
0: sports talk show legend Lee Hacksaw hamilton Lee, welcome to the podcast.
1: Nice to be
2: here with you. I bet you guys never imagined you'd be doing your podcast on a patio party.
1: I I know, that's that's certainly true. Um, You know, I want to say... You know, I went on Twitter a few weeks ago, and I said that there are four definitive voices of San Diego sports fans. Um, Jerry Coleman, obviously, Ted Leitner, Bob Chandler, and I believe Lee Hamilton also is in that four. Because for anyone that was a fan of the Chargers for the Super Bowl run, you know, that's the voice we heard. We've heard him on the airwaves for decades now, and that's, I'm very excited to have Lee Axel Hamilton
0: here. I remember when we had the, uh, the Super Bowl, I think it was the Broncos-Packers one, and they had the... Uh, what, what do you call it—the day before the Super Bowl, or a couple of days leading up to it? You could go and do all these activities. Fan fest. Fan fest. That's right. And at one of the fan fests, because I think we had two Super Bowls, and one of them, though, there was a booth where whoever could best replicate your touchdown call got free tickets. <laughs> and I remember going up there, and at one point, they had like a little chalkboard. I think they were keeping track of what they thought was the best one. And at one point in time, I went up there, and I had the best one for about five minutes before <laughs> someone else came up there and replaced it. Well, so, it's
2: it's nice to be remembered for all the things you did in the community. I spent twenty six years. In san diego doing sports talk radio and obviously a decade and a half doing the chargers and we had a really really good run i i'm proud of what i did in sports talk radio as kind of a pioneer out here you know, i came here in 1987 and everybody prior to that had done nice guy mom and pop sports talk radio and i just kind of changed changed the the atmosphere and i had been in Phoenix for seven years before that and that's where the people from San Diego uh, the old owners of extra 690 had heard of me and came and listened to me and liked what I did and thought I'd be a pretty good ingredient as they they got the charger rights and then their big game plan was to put an all sports station on the air and eventually 690 became extra sports 690 and, and really became an icon in sports talk radio across the country so I'm I'm proud to have been a pioneer in that Uh, sports talk radio now is everywhere across america we were the third one in the country to go on the air wip in philadelphia wfan in new york with mike and the mad dog and then extra 690 with hacksaw and then the whole entourage that followed. so i'm you know i'm pleased with what my contribution to the community has been and obviously my impact on sports talk radio landscape has changed rules have changed roles have changed obviously personalities have changed but people ask are you surprised you're able to stay in one place for 26 years and I said yeah I really was but you know what you stay in one place long enough they finally get you <laughs> and and they and they got me but it also proves that if you do it long enough you should get good enough about it at it I'm, I'm pretty proud of what I've accomplished and all the dynamic and really uniquely different things I thought were important in sports talk radio topics on the table and lots of phone calls and lots of interviews and a lot of historical stuff you know the tour of the spring training camps and the pro football training camps and the NBA and the NHL and the NFL draft previews and and my book summer book review thing a lot of people still remember all the unique things that I kind of brought to the table that made sports talk radio very very different so I'm I'm proud. Mike and Mad Dog pioneered it on the eastern seaboard at WFAN. Uh, Mike Francesa is still there. Chris Russo is still there. Uh, and I pioneered it on the West Coast. So I, I think we've really kind of impacted sports talk radio in America.
0: Was, was there anything you spoke about all the different segments you used to do? Was there ever a point in time where you wanted to do a segment and they didn't let you?
2: No, they gave me free reign to do what I wanted. And I was very successful at it. The thing that I liked the the most about doing sports talk radio then was that you could create. You could come up with ideas and you could do them. What was hard was everything I did, I did myself. I didn't have a producer. I created all the content. I booked all the guests. I I was working 80 hours a week on the air five nights a week, plus doing play-by-play. So that, that was the... The challenge of, of just being dedicated to creating and, and go do it. You know, in in the run up to the Super Bowls, you, you'd, you'd have two weeks. Well, I'd go get 24 guests. I would go get 24 guests. I would make the 58 phone calls to get the 24 guests lined up, and then sweat bullets that they would show up, or would be able to get it done.
1: So you didn't have a, a Marty Caswell or a, a Joe Totino. No, it was a very different era. And
2: I did I did a lot of it. And part of that was I, I liked doing it. Part of it was it was easy to, to do because I knew a lot of people and I could cut a lot of corners and red tape. But it, it's gotten much more challenging because now everybody's got sports talk stations and everybody wants access to guests. It's, it's, it's a lot challenging. But, I mean, I, I built a lot of my guest list just by personal relationships I made through being the voice of the Chargers in the NFL and what I did in college football and having done hockey in the past. So... I, I, I like the diversity, and I think the listenership likes the diversity. I get stopped in the in the shopping malls all the time, and people say, "I remember when you had this guest on," or "I remember your your tour of the spring training camps and how cool it was." And again, this was all pre-internet era, before anybody had access to all the information. Yeah. I had a way to create that type of access to get information, and I used it to my advantage for a
1: long, long time. Well, in the high-speed sports wire. Before well, started, actually,
2: that. that existed. That was an Associated Press sportswire, ran at high speed. I was getting stuff instantly that you wouldn't get in the newspaper till the next morning when they printed it. So we were, and again, some of this was, quote, theater of the mind. Um, the president of San Diego State University came up to me one day and said, What is this Kiss My Aztec wine?" I said, well, it's a red phone that's off the side, and when I need somebody from San Diego State, I, I use the red and black phone. <laughs> he, he laughed. He knew it wasn't true, but that was, quote, theater of the mind. Yeah. And the high-speed wire actually existed, computerized access to information, but it was theater of the right. mind I created it.
1: Which is what radio is in the end. Mm-hmm. So you, you were talking about the, you know, when 690 started, and it was, I remember as a kid, you know, it was revolutionary at the time that I could listen to a station, and it would be it would be all sports before then there was like 760 which I think had the, the the Padres but they would have like Hudson and Bauer in the morning non-sports related stuff on the radio and like even as a kid I would come home from school and I would turn on 690 so I could hear Hacksaw's headlines because at that time um I'm a kid I don't I, I'm not reading the newspaper in the morning it's the only access I have to hear what the Padres did um, for me, that, that era, it's like 1992-ish, and it actually came up this week because um, Darren Smith had Jim Rome on, and he was talking about his San Diego days, but to me, the golden age of San Diego Sports Talk Radio is right there in like 1992. There was like Steve Mason in the morning, uh, like Loose Cannon's midday, you, drive time, and then Jim Rome at night up to midnight, and I, I remember laying in my bed listening to Jim Rome, hoping I could stay up late enough to hear the huge call of the night, I mean, to you, is that, is that the golden age of sports radio? Or I is it now, where there's you know 80 trillion outlets for sports radio? No, I think,
2: I think that's quite complimentary about what we developed. It, it probably should be written as a golden era of sports radio. And it wasn't by design. They stumbled onto it. I mean, when I got hired, this is the funniest story. But I was hired in 1987 to come here. I was at work in Phoenix and I was doing sports talk radio at KTAR and I had pioneered it out there and then we had stolen the Arizona State rights so I did Sunday Devil football and they, they knew who I was and I, I get a call one afternoon I pick it up on my desk and it's this high, it's this accent I said yes, he said this is such and such I'm from the Noble Broadcast Group we're based in San Diego he said uh, let me give you a little background we just got the rights to the San Diego Chargers we own a 50,000-lot radio station, and we would like to talk to you about coming to be the voice of the Chargers because we love your play-by-play, and we know what you've done on Sports Talk Radio. Would you be interested in talking? I said, yeah, sign now. So we talked, and they explained what they had done and how they'd gotten the rights and the, how the Chargers had bounced all over the radio dial and didn't really have a home or an identity, despite being a pretty good franchise. So this is our game plan, and we're going to take our big signal station and we're going to turn it into news talk sports or maybe even all sports. He said, fine, that sounds really great to me because my goal was to get get to the NFL. And I said, explain to me a little bit about your station. Well, they went into this dialogue of, well, our call letters are XTRA. We're Mexican licensed. Our tower and transmitter and our studios are in Mexico, Tijuana, Rosarito Beach. We're going to build studios in San Diego. And we're going to move our entire, quote, on-air operation to San Diego. And I said, well, that's really interesting, but I have a problem with that. He said, what's that?" He said, I said, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> I thought they wanted me to come be the, the radio voice of the Chargers in Spanish yeah. on a Spanish-Mexican <laughs> license station. He said, no, 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 we're American programming, Wolfman, Jack, rock and roll, solid gold music, and we're going to convert it to news talk or then all sports. Yeah. So I had a real misconception early, and I, I laugh laugh about that with, with the guys that hired me that I'm still friends with back in, back in 87. But they didn't have any game plan. I was the first component, and, and I came in the front door running. Early on, people forget this, it was 69 Extra Gold. They played rock and roll music, and they had disc jockeys, and then they'd Wolfman Jack, and they'd play music all day. And then at, at 6 o'clock or 4 o'clock, I'd come on the air doing sports talk. It was a really weird, weird yeah. fit. Uh, but then, then they evolved in, into all sports, and they went through a lot of different people. They went through like seven morning shows. Mm-hmm. And then they then they came across Mason in Ireland and that worked. And John and Steve have done very well in Los Angeles. Yes. And then they stumbled on Chet Forty. Loose Cannons. Steve Hartman. It started actually as an interview with two guys on an FM station in LA. And they're going after the other guy, Bud Ferrillo, And and Hartman and Bud Ferrillo were co hosting. And Hartman's the one that really impressed him. Mm -hmm. So they hired Steve to come. And then out of nowhere, Chet Forty shows up on the West Coast. And most interesting man I've ever met in the industry. Fabulous history and stories. A lot of problems. But they hired Chet. Chet had rebounded and saved his life from all of his gambling addictions. Had lost his career. It was a terribly sad story. And they paired Steve with Chet. Chet was not a radio guy. Chet was a New Yorker, and it was it, this was not a big game plan. They just stumbled onto it, and then all of a sudden it dawned on them. We got young guy West Coast, old guy from the East Coast, arguing
1: every day about sports. It yeah, was electric. A, it was which magic. is a model that they've they've uh, duplicated on every station now. At this it, point, it
2: was magic. It worked. And then, of course, they had me and and my components, and my whole thing was national sports talk plus the local teams on top of it. So we had all these date ports that kind of came together, and then they stumbled across Jim Rome. Yeah,
1: and most of us, in, you know, in our age group, grew up with Jim Rome. You know, on radio, and then kind of on ESPN two. And yeah, he, he was doing night stuff, the superstar that he is now.
2: And then they flipped him to mid mornings, and it just took off like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I take a lot of responsibility for for some of the junk that's on his show. You know, I I started calling the people who kept calling his show, you know, the yablos. They didn't have jobs. Yeah. And, And so we created a lot of stuff. I came up with the Loose cannons nickname. I threw it at Hartman and Forty one day when they were done arguing with each other on the air all day. Is uh,
1: thirteen sixty paying you royalties today? For, they should be. Uh, using, Somebody using ought to be paying me.
2: Somebody ought to say thank you. <laughs> so we, and you know and then the, the last guy in the equation was John Cantara. Yes. John had no radio background. John was beloved in the community. Uh, our management people were friends with him. Said, hey, would you like to come in and do high school shows, do some specialty stuff? And Coach said, yeah. So John came in with his old, hook his country manner. Yeah. It was great. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this Mexican licensed rock and roll station becomes really special with personalities. And you know what made the station great? Every day part was radically different. Mason and Ireland were irreverent. Rome was a young punk. Mm-hmm. The loose cannons argued all the time. Hacksaw sledgehammered you with all the sports stories. And the coach was your best friend at night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what made the radio station great. And it wasn't by grand design. They stumbled into it. And they they kept it intact for a long period of time Till sadly, Clear Channel Radio came in, bought everything, blew it all up, got rid of the signal. By that time, we were 77,000 watts. We were the biggest station in the nation. Got rid of all the play-by-play properties. They just absolutely wrecked something that was unbelievably dominant and very, very profitable because, quote, they had a better idea, well, their better idea has never ever worked since, so but it was, what a great run, and it, you know you're you're correct in your phrase golden era of radio in San Diego
0: So I mean, somewhat on the same topic but shifting to the Padres more so, so you mentioned that or at least we were talking about how now there are so many sports talk radio shows and it would seem like getting guests to come on now would be more difficult because, you know, in the old days, if there was only one outlet that a, you know, a Padres president could go on to talk about, you would have to go on your show, right? And now they have at least several different shows to choose from. So, I guess my question is, do you think now are there, you know, when you have a host on, is a lot of it trying not to step on toes? Is there any any part of that where, you know, you're just trying to keep that relationship so you have this guest going forward? Whereas, uh, you know, maybe in the past you could ask more open questions or, or... Well,
1: in his background, I mean, Mike D. used to go on Darren Smith's show, and he's made, he made a conscious decision that he will no longer go on that show, but he will go on Dancilio, so now he's got a regular Wednesday interview with Damcilio. So, I mean, is Mike D. shopping around for a friendly host? Well, yes, yeah, you yeah, yeah, to... ask a
2: myriad of questions, all kinds of complexities yeah. to it. Yeah. First of all, uh, back when we first started at, at the old Extra 690, um, there was us. We're the only one in on the market doing it. And there was only one or two stations up in LA. Well, now you got two in San Diego and you got five in LA and Orange County. Mm-hmm. Much more competition. Uh, in the past, you'd go get guests. Well, now everybody's trying to get the same guests because not only do you have seven stations in Southern California, San Diego, and LA. You got the networks. You got ESPN Radio. You got Fox Sports Radio. You got the new CBS Radio Network. You got the NBC Radio Network. All the XM stuff too. Plus, you got all my friends at Sirius XM. Yes. So everybody's going after the same people, and you have to divvy up your time and access. Now, when you develop relationships, you're in the Padres clubhouse. You're in the Chargers locker room. You can get guys on, but everybody's pulling at the same thing. It's it's just it's very very time consuming now so that's that's one of the issues it it just that it's changed because the competition has changed and a couple of that there's so much more television my goodness how many tv stations you got in san diego plus now you got fox network on tv and you got espn on tv and their guys are showing up everywhere so it's it's just a very complicated puzzle now to to access time in terms of relationships it's changed to a degree um It never bothered me because I was covering stories and expressing opinions on stories, sometimes positive, sometimes negative. And if you don't like it, that's okay.
0: Did did you ever get pressure not to talk about the negative stories? No.
2: I talked about stuff, and then I got lectured to after I talked about stuff if I took very strong stands. Nobody's ever interfered with me doing what I did because I was always fair. But fair could be complimentary, and fair could be critical too, and so be it. Uh, the difference is I would give you an opportunity to respond if I said something critical about you. Now the problem we have today is there's so many outlets and everybody's got to have an opinion. Everybody's firing gunshots at people but nobody is going in the locker room to face the people they fired the gunshot at. And see that's I think that's what's different now than before. Um, one of, one of the biggest controversies I ever had in San Diego was when I, I criticized Rodney Harrison the safety. And was a really good guy. And he, he and I were friends. And he kept taking sheep shots at guys' heads. And I went on TV and I went on the radio and I criticized him. Because Bobby Ross, the coach, had criticized him. And, he, and he's going to get fined. you know. And, and I put a, a caveat to it. Rodney, ask me who Daryl Stingley is and I'll tell you the story. Because I was fearful Rodney was going to break his neck the way he was playing. And Rodney stopped me on the tarmac at Lindbergh Field before we boarded a flight on a Charger road trip and said, why did you say all that? And I explained it. And I, I was fair to him. I gave him a chance to respond. And So if, if I'm going to go after somebody, the backside of that is I'll give you a chance to respond to what I say. And you may like it or you may like it and may not like it. We'll, we'll clarify what was said and then you want to have a relationship, great. And if you don't, okay, then I'll go on to the next player. So it's it's different, but nobody ever told me you can't go there and be critical. Um, right right till the very end when I was on ten ninety. And then then I was told we don't want you criticizing Dean Spanos and my response is I'll say what I want to say. So nobody's really ever interfered with me for the most part. Now I will also tell you when you're the rights holder, I also had a corporate philosophy, I'm not I'm not gonna rip the product my people are trying to sell on the radio. Right. But I'll also be I'll be critiquing them what they do because that's part of my venue part of my real estate my square is to do sports talk i don't like this padre trade i'll tell you why i don't like this padre trade if mike d doesn't like it well too bad for mike d but then you weigh into the equation all the positive things i've done on behalf of the padres as compared to this critical thing you know we got it we got into it this past summer a little bit he was upset about stuff that i had said on the padre pregame show well, your team. As far as
1: the team's performance at the time,
2: your your team is the one that is hitting 171 for the entire first half of the season and about to become the worst hitting team in all history of baseball. I'm not going to ignore that. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat something that's terribly wrong. At one point, I, I referred they had eight guys in a batting order that were hitting 170 or less.
1: Yes, they we all were. And they're all
2: ma- and all making big money. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, call, I kept calling them eight men out. And I think the Padres got upset about that, and they finally complained about it. But at the end of the day, what did they do in the off season? They got rid of all the
1: guys who were hitting 170. Well, let's not say all. They got rid of half of them. Most but. of them. But
2: so, I mean, getting back to your original question, I never felt pressured. I, I said, these are the rules I play by? Accept it. That's me, and that's, that's the content of what I do, and that's why I built this reputation. So... I never, I, now I didn't do things for effect. I didn't go out to kill somebody on the air because I didn't like them. You know, I don't have much regard for Carlos Quentin and the way he acts in that clubhouse and how he avoids everybody. But I, I don't go out to chop his head off. But I do make, I do make comments and points about the controversial issues of the day. Understand this, that these are human beings. And for the most part, they're all trying to do the best they can in all types of circumstances. When I was at 690, we had the rights to the L.A. Kings, the hockey team. Mm-hmm. Very good franchise. We wound up going to the Stanley Cup Finals. I remember
1: that. That was the only time I ever listened to hockey, actually, because that, that year. Yeah. Well,
2: one of their goaltenders was Kelly Rudy, whom they got from the New York mm-hmm. Islanders. And yeah. he was going through a real bad stretch towards the end of the season. And he was getting hammered by everybody. And I got along really well with Kelly. I'm not going to say he was a favorite, but I respect him because he was a pro's pro. And I thought a pretty good goaltender. He confided in me how hard it was to be a goaltender and uh, all the criticism he was taking and how his kids were getting harassed at school by other kids because the dad was playing so badly. He was going was gonna to cost the, the hockey team a chance. Well, what happened at the end of the season? So I, I, I understood the personal side of the Kelly Rudy story. I never gripped him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, He got yanked because he gave up six goals in two periods. He's had three straight bad games in a row. Take him out of the lineup and let him rest and think about it. Work with him. So I understood the personal part of the players' struggles. What happened at the end of the season? Kelly Rudy got blazing hot. They beat Vancouver. They beat Calgary. We went to Maple Leaf Gardens. They beat Toronto. And they went to the Stanley Cup Finals because that goaltender was red hot in April and May. So you you, you got to give players their space. you got to respect them job is really hard and, and for the most part most of these guys are good guys you know there's some real jerks out there but most of these guys are really good guys and, you, and you, you try to kind of ride the good times with them and if they're in bad times you try to understand why and you hope they hit their way out of it
1: well i think the players are sensitive sometimes but they're not the decision makers a lot of times you know it's the mike d's it's the the sandy aldersons who are the decision makers as far as uh, I, I don't know if you'd call it oversight of their media outlets um, but that kind of brings me to my next question, which is: uh, the landscape in sports has been for the, the teams to own either all or a portion of their media outlets. Um, it was pioneered by Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, for uh, he started Red Zebra. He bought not only not only did he buy the radio station, he bought the message board, the number one team message board, so that he could control the message um, on the team. And even here in San Diego, um, the Padres own 20% of Fox Sports San Diego. They're a partner in it. Um, so I guess one of my questions is: I assume that they're buying into the media outlets so that they can control the message. And uh, even Wayne Partello, the chief marketing officer, has joked, uh, you know, that they like to control the message. Um, how much power does that give them over a true journalist? And, and you've seen some. Some journalists, like respected in the industry. Scott Miller, you know, is well-known. Um, Jay Paris has done some work for them. Um, does, can the team exert any uh, influence on that? And, and why else would they buy 20% of, of, a, of the station covering that?
2: Well, the electronic end of the, re- of the industry, radio and TV, is very profitable. So I could understand that investment. Uh, I, print is not profitable. Newspapers are dying weekly right um
1: and that's again, why they try to turn people like ac into a multimedia star mm-hmm, in some ways right so
2: i think i think the interesting aspect is controlling the message i don't think you can do that um maybe on your flagship station you will ex- try to exert pressure don't beat us up of course i never had a problem with that because i don't didn't believe in beating up my product that my salespeople people right. to sell however i was not going to avoid the fact the damn Padres one time were ten and thirty-three. Yes, I'm not. I'm not going to sell sunshine when you're ten and thirty-three.
1: Well, and how that about was management fair. decisions? I found that the management has been very sensitive on issues like the the brown the bring back the brown movement. Um, had you gone on the pregame show, you know, on 1090, the flagship station of the Padres, and said, "Look, Mike D, Wayne Partello, they're totally off base. The fans want brown, and they should bring back brown." Would that lead to repercussions for you? Or, you know, it, or a talking to from management?
2: It shouldn't. It's just a topic on the table. Right. It's one man's opinion. If you don't agree with that opinion, that's okay.
1: Um, I mean, even to the extent that, if you remember, Wayne Partello and Mike D. both went on, um, on Padre Social Hour, which is you know, a, a wholly owned production of the Padres on Fox Sports San Diego. And most fans would say they bombed. They bombed. They were very unpopular um, when, when they went on there. Is it outside of your freedom as a journalist to say Mike D went on there and he was not convincing, um, like like most of us out here in the fan world thought, or is that something that your program director would say, "Hey, hey, Lee, we gotta we gotta take it easy on that." Mike D's the decision maker. We got a contract coming up this year. I think
2: if you were over the top and nonstop criticism, you'd probably have a discussion with your program management. But on an isolated one-time incident. It shouldn't merit that. It did with me. I made a comment, a comment about Joaquin Benoit based on what he had said in a media scrum in, in the clubhouse about I didn't come here to be the closer. You no, know, I, I reported it that way, and they were really upset. It doesn't matter. It was right there. He made five comments to me and all the TV crew. Right. So I commented on it, although I wasn't critical. I said this guy's got, you know, 238 career saves. He has been a closer, but. Um, I. I, the landscape has changed. Um, you've got, you know, the 1090 was partially owned by John Moores. It is now. Was it? it is now run by JMI, one of his subsidiaries. Really? Owns oh. 1090,
1: yes. Are they majority owners
2: or minority owners? They are majority owners. They control it. Ah. But so John no, Lynch is not? Uh, no, John Lynch is long gone. How? So, so... In, you know, JMI, but they don't influence, I don't think to a degree, very much of the, of the content on that radio station. They have a right to pick up the phone, and they have picked up the phone. They call the CEO and say, I don't agree with this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the Dodgers just became a minority owner in 570, their flagship station. Now, 570, for the most part, is, is network turnkey programming. So I don't, I don't think they have very much input into what those the only local show they have is saying uh, Artie Moreno owns 830 in Anaheim now they have two local shows but all they do is sell sunshine and that's, well, and that's in your opinion
1: issue. is that is that the number one issue is that why they're buying the, the, the media outlets or is it because it's a immensely profitable
2: I think it's it's a, it, I think a little bit is to control the message but you can't buy everything you can't buy every TV station in San Diego it's got a guy doing sports mm-hmm. Um, so, if your product is good, then the message is positive. If you're giving us garbage, I mean, the Padres had 12 losing seasons in 15 years. Oh, you don't have to do tell you know, us. Do you, do you know the burden their, quote, broadcast partner had to swallow? The amount of money 1090 lost through all that bad baseball? It's I'm sure. Un- it's unbelievable. So, my response was, don't come here and bark at me about my talk show. Spend your energy and give me a better product in the field right. because I guarantee what comes out of, of the radio will be a lot more positive. Huh. But I also told them, you don't like what I reported on Joaquin Benoit? Okay. You don't like the fact your team's at 177? It's not my fault. Fix the product. Yeah. And by the way, check the out-of-town scoreboard. How many times did I talk positively about the fan experience? How many times did I talk about the suites and the Hall of Fame bar right. and all the charitable stuff you're doing? What's the scoreboard say? every negative comment, there were probably twenty good comments uh, that were made over the years. So, I I never took the heat that the people directed at me uh, at all because I was always I always tried to be fair. Going back to my original statement, fair can be complimentary, fair can be critical.
0: Speaking of the product on the field, obviously uh, a lot of positive things have happened this off season, and in, in, at least in terms of short-term player acquisition. Uh, but I think you know Potters Jagoff and I we're we're pretty unanimous in this in our belief that. They aren't there yet. They're obviously a much better team. They're probably going to compete for the wild card, potentially to outside shot at the division, but they're still one or two players away. Uh, what do you think about this most present uh, Padres offseason?
2: Well, the only, the only three words that really matter are play in October. That's the only thing I care about. Give me to postseason, and then we'll see how good does against good. Compared to where they've been, I'm stunned at what they accomplished. Uh, now, I'll give you a couple more words. Three more words, risk versus reward. They're taking a huge risk with what they just did in the month of December. There's going to be a really great reward if it all pans out. And if it doesn't pan out, the risk they took could really hurt them going down the road. I'll explain it to you this way. When they elected to trade the whole bottom end of the farm system, they got rid of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow being three years from now. The reward is you just got a former MVP, you got five all-stars, you got a rookie of the year, product immediately is going to be much better. So the the issue they've got is let's have a tremendous 2015 and then let's just see how this evolves. You come and play in the sunshine, pretty good baseball town, beautiful stadium, and you start to win with well, that allow you to sales pitch Justin Upton to sign a contract extension? Will it convince Andrew Kashner that I like this in the clubhouse, on the field, and by the way, I sure like this town and the gasoline quarter? Because winning begets winning begets good feelings and relationships in the clubhouse and players and management. Now, if you get there and Matt Kemp is broken-down wreck and Justin Upton gets psyched out playing 81 games at Petco Park and his numbers deflate. If Kashner gets hurt again, now you got a different set of problems, and you got Ian Kennedy who's going to walk here. You got Kashner who can walk a year from now. If he if he breaks down again, so there's there's some risk to this whole thing if it doesn't quite work out. So I'm fascinated to see what 2015 is going to be. But guys, for the first time in a long time, these words have value to them pitchers and catchers report.
1: it oh, we're there, excited. Yeah.
2: The rest of it was BS. Pitchers and catchers report to see Will Venable hit 214 and to see Carlos Quentin get hurt again.
1: Yeah, not well, quite as exciting.
2: Pitchers and catchers with this roster, the way it's constructed, yeah. are going to be very, very good. So I I salute them for being bold, but there is risk at the hope of the reward.
1: Well, and what we said is, is there value in – so you traded a, a boatload for, for Justin Upton, for instance obviously very exciting great player he's under contract for one year so when you acquire Justin Upton you're going all in on 2015 in some ways so if you go all in in 2015 why take a half measure and leave your rotation where the, the four and five spots are Idrisom or Despanier or Robbie Early, for instance uh, our shortstop is Alexi Amarista our third baseman is Yangervis Salarte, or possibly Middlebrooks um, why why not go all the way you're going to go all the way. Trade the rest of the farm, or or spend some. As change of Padres has been an advocate of uh, uh, for years, you know, spend some money. Um, so I guess that's where some of we've had some debate internally on go, why not go for it all the way? Because you can't trade everybody away.
2: You got to have insurance policy players to replace the guys who are going to get hurt or you're going to get rid of a year from now. Now that they've, they've got three or four or five at AAA, AA that are left. They've gotten rid of everybody else. I mean, I was stunned they traded Jesse Hahn. Tell me about it. He had a a 3.09 ERA. However, I think the secret story is they're afraid he's going to break down again for the elbow. I think that's why they did that. Is that based on sources, or is that uh, just your analysis? That's both, and I think that's
1: why Tampa Bay got rid of him. Now, the
2: kid pitched well. Can the kid continue to pitch well? We don't know. I know, man, um, I was,
1: nothing got me going like his curveball. Yeah, I
2: was surprised that they moved Joe Ross because that kid's got electric stuff. And I was a little bit surprised they moved Trey Turner this early because he was productive, though I was told they don't see him as a shortstop because of the arm situation. Hmm. That does not mean he can't play a different position like second base. Right. However, to to get what they got, you're going to have to give up something. So they, they gave up down-road potential versus right. instant credibility right now. You know, and conversely, you know, the Braves are going to be a mess. They're going to be a horrible team this year. I feel bad for Freddie Freeman, the Orange County kid, the first baseman. Yep. He's the last man standing. They got rid of everybody around him. Uh, and the Dodgers are going to be very different. There may be a little culture shock coming to Dodger Stadium. They've, they've openly talked about, you know, yeah. team chemistry. Well... You're gonna miss Matt Kemp and Hanley Ramirez's bats. Really, trust me on that, because you haven't replaced him. It's a different team, and you got you got an oh, aging Adrian, Adrian Gonzalez, and you know you, they're still a vibrant players and, and just. Well, i t- go ahead and t- say
1: they got Yasmany Grandal. Well, I'm, I'm bullish on. Yeah. We're, we're, we're both bullish. So,
2: I, so what I'm saying is the Padres' risk reward is going to be a fascinating storyline. From now till October first, but their whole goal is playing October. And the other thing is, I I really believe, guys, this is a great melting pot community of baseball fans. You put good product on the field, they could draw three million here. And if you can do it year by year by year, the revenue stream making three million is a hell of a lot better than the revenue stream struggling to get to two million. So they've made the investment. Then I think one of the the intangible things that nobody's really investigating. They just, oh, they're bumping their payroll sum, but what they did was they rearranged the money. They took Chase Headley's money and Josh Johnson's money, flipped it over, and that's Matt Kemp's salary. Next year, if they can re-sign Upton, they're gonna take Carlos Quentin's money and maybe Will Venable's money
0: or Lukey's
1: money or yeah, somebody
2: Luke's. else's money,
0: and that that's going to be the money
2: going forward for Upton. So they're
0: they're just reallocating some of their dollars along the way. Do you think they should spend more money? I mean, because. This was a topic of our most recent podcast. You know, the payroll hasn't gone up. You know, they've done all this without actually spending more money, which is, in, in our opinion, that's more impressive for A.J. Preller than it is for, you know, ownership or, or Mike D or whatever. Obviously, hiring A.J. Preller is, uh, you know, they deserve credit for that if you can hire someone who can, you know, turn your uh, garbage into you know, treasures or whatever. But do you think they should actually be spending more money? Particularly this offseason where they, you know, they appear to at least be competing... For the division potentially, why not go sign James Shields this offseason if the payroll hasn't gone up yet? Well, payroll's bumped some because remember all the arbitration-eligible guys.
1: Uh, even after to- that, they're down. They're starting below last year's opening day. All right, so let's let's let's
0: make one caveat here. So we're not including Matt Kemp's full salary. We're we're only counting what they're actually going to pay based on the hard, them cash. Getting, right. yeah, the hard right. cash. So if you include his full salary, they're somewhere just over a hundred million. If you don't, if you you know go based on what they got. From the Dodgers in a the trade, they're still at like 89 million, and last year they were about at that same
1: figure. Now,
2: next year it will take a big bump because if you, if you take the Dodger money out of the Matt Kemp thing, then they'll be paying more for Kemp.
1: Yeah, but you know, but then they're also shedding uh, Quentin, Luke, Key, Kennedy, Kennedy, Venable. Yeah, that's a lot of money that they're shedding. Upton, right there. You know. yeah. so, Upton. Uh,
2: they move dollars around creatively, uh, and they're not done. You know, they're in on a couple of these Cubans. And, uh, you know, there's some money still in the checking accounts. Well, they're like, in on everything.
1: And I've well, said that trying. that's a PR strategy in some ways. No, I
2: think, if, you know, if they had, if they had wind up, wound up with Yasmani Tomas, that's not,
1: that's no PR strategy. That's an accomplishment if you wound up getting them. But they didn't. Well, that's they didn't, the but
2: they made the bid. And well, if, we don't know that.
1: We don't know what they bid, we don't know how competitive or, their bid was. Or maybe we should ask, do you know what they bid?
2: I would assume it was probably state-of-the-art close, but Arizona
1: outbid them. Okay. Because the PR strategy that was used for um, for uh, Pablo Sandoval, Padres, UT, and Corey Brock kept kept repeatedly reporting that the Padres offered the highest bid. Which, in one way, they did the total value, but uh, you know the average annual value of that offer was not not the highest. It was a few million off per year. So sometimes I feel like. They're in on these in on these players so that they can get on MLB trade rumors as being in on the player, you know, as a strategy, and it's worked in some ways. I mean, so many fans have said it's so exciting to hear the Padres in on all these rumors, but that only has so much value until you can actually convert that. Yeah, it's, well, it's fun when it's authentic, right? And
0: and to this point, they still haven't signed a significant player in free agency. I mean, and who, Josh, Josh who, who's Johnson, whos our, high, who
1: our highest-paid free agent that we've hired? of all time was walking Benoit last
0: offseason, and before that it was Orlando Hudson. You know, guys making you know, $20 million or less total on their deal. That is still the largest free agent signing the Padres have ever made in their franchise history, which is quite frankly embarrassing at this point in time. And, you know, it's it's one thing if, if they make one of those signings. Like, you know, if they sign James Shields this offseason and next year they were in on eight guys and lost all eight, I could believe that they had made bids on those eight guys. But until they actually do it, you know, it's a little frustrating as a fan to hear their names in these rumors and never actually sign one of those guys. There's a difference between trading and signing. You can try, and maybe you don't get them. But at the end of the day,
2: as we go to the Cactus League, you're not going to argue with me and tell me this isn't a much better product than a year ago today. None of of us are arguing.
1: Change the Padres' platform had been do not spend a dollar on the Padres to support them until they change the Padres, and now he's a a half-season ticket holder. So Certainly we're more bullish on the team, but... To go to that next level, as you said, the goal is to win in October. Yeah, so it, we want to compete with the Nationals, the Dodgers, and and so, so there's some question on whether they're they're at that point yet. Because because we look at
0: the roster, and we still see. I I'm, and we made this point last week too that you know most rosters do have holes. Even the best rosters have holes. You know the Red Sox are starting the year with Rick Porcello as their number one pitcher. He was the number four in Detroit last year, right. and they didn't go very far. So. You know, we look at the Padres roster and we see shortstop position where you have a super utility guy and an over-the-hill shortstop who couldn't even hit in course field when he was there as their starting shortstop at this point in time. And, you know, the closest prospect of shortstop is Jose Rondon, and he's low A, or Mm -hmm. maybe Lake Elsinore this year. And you look at third base, they're they're probably going to start either Jervis Solarte, who is, you know, by all means a bench player in Major League Baseball, probably, or Will Middlebrooks, who has struggled at the major league level, and they still don't have a true number one starter. And so we we can look at the roster, and for all the excitement of Matt Kemp and Justin Upton and Will Myers, and Derek Norris, and I'm very excited. I still see blatant holes that can be fixed immediately. I
2: don't think they can fix it all,
0: all at once. I mean, but then why get Upton? I would
2: much I would much rather have this outfield we have opening day. Cactus League compared to Carlos Quentin, Cam Maybin, and Will Venable. Oh, of course. Yes, yeah. So, so you can't sit there and bark. You didn't do enough. They, they did some significant stuff, but you can't, you can't fix it all. And the shortstop thing, it's probably plug in. I think in the bigger picture, the infield is the weak link right now. Yeah. Now, you know, Jerko had a strong second half, so I'm on the impression that Jerko will build on what happened yes. after he came back from the injuries, and maybe Jerko winds up at third base yet.
0: I mean, he's probably the least of our concerns in the infield. Right. Yeah. At this point.
2: yeah. yeah. And now, Alonso is finally healthy. Yonder's had two different hand injuries. I mean, he showed me the scars, and he showed me, he drew for me what they did. I understand why he could not get around on pitches because of the pain. He's been pain-free for months. Now, he's got to prove he can hit, but prior, he did hit when he was in Cincinnati. So you you give him the benefit of the doubt, and this, this will be a critical year because otherwise they let him walk at the end of the season. But that doesn't mean that a year from December, at next year's winter baseball meetings, that they're not back at it. That they're not buying more free agents and salaries become available. I'd hate to see him lose Ian Kennedy. You know, because if 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 Kennedy walks and he's making ten six, which is I think is a pretty significant amount of money for a guy that's a third starter, but boy, he's an innings eater and he just he's a, a warrior. But but if Ian walks and Kashner can't stay healthy,
0: now now, now you got. This. You got two holes in your rotation to address. Yeah, you better hope Matt Whistler is the real deal if that well, if that happens.
2: Whistler or one of the injured trio comes in a case back. Of Kelly, uh, yeah, Kelly, Lukey, whatever. I think Cashner's future is in the pen. I think it's and, and this year may prove it because when Ben Benoit's in the final year of the deal, I think Kashner is much more trustworthy as a three batter closer than asking him to throw ninety to one hundred twenty pitches every fifth day. I think you get much more mileage cuz he's been hurt. He's had six different Yeah. I uh, I said on ailments. the show, I've
1: said on the podcast before. Every time he gets hurt, his arsenal is downgraded. You know, he used to throw 100 101 miles an hour out of the bullpen. Now he's down to 94 93. His last injury, he I think changed the type of slider that he was throwing. And so continually every injury the team is babying him, telling him to cut this pitch out, save your arm. And I agree with you. I think he would be much more valuable as a high-leverage reliever where he could use his natural abilities. Yeah, I bet evolve. a year from
2: today we're sitting here doing this patio party interview we're we'll talking about Cashner being the closer and asking Cashner to get three guys out and do that a couple days in a row probably has much, much more value than send him out there every fifth day and hoping there's no flips. He's had six different shoulder-elbow things in, what, three years, coupled couple with the Cubs, yep. and a bunch of different things. Luckily... You know, no tear of the elbow ligament, no no transplant surgery, no shoulder surgery. But I, I think him
0: being the closer, and I, I actually think that's a great argument for why they should sign James Shields. I mean, Ian Kennedy is our workhorse, but James Shields is even more of a workhorse. You know, historically. Plus, he's basically what you hope Andrew Kashner turns into, anyways. So if you went out there and you got yourself a true ace like that, you wouldn't have to bank on Andrew Kashner being healthy, or you wouldn't have to make a tough decision of moving him to the bullpen because when you do that. You're giving up one of your high upside starting pitchers. The only and issue, maybe
1: Casey Kelly does come back, or maybe Brandon Morrow can become a starting pitcher. Maybe. I don't know. But. but for years we've relied on maybes, and in most cases those maybes never worked out for this team. True, but right now you've got you've got
2: guys who are proven instead of maybes. you got a proven rotation. Now, I will tell you that when the pitching staffs are never the same from one year to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, innings take an enormous toll on a pitcher's arm. And Tyson Ross had a vibrant year. You now, is Tyson Ross going to be the same pitcher going forward after he threw 178 innings, whatever it was, last year? You don't know, because pitchers change, arms change after the wear and tear factor. I, I, Ian, I, I Kennedy, even, Ian Kennedy is the kind of the exception of the rule. Yeah.
0: I couldn't even survive Little League without elbow injuries. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> I have, yeah. So, I,
2: you know, and the, only, the only negative to Shields, and I like him because he is a real competitive dude, I don't know that I give any picture of seven years. I'm sorry.
1: The, well, he's not the, looking for seven, I He's looking for five or four, I think, is what... The, and the market's kind of pushing him towards four, I think, so...
0: Yeah, the, the one bad part with signing Shields is that you would lose that first round pick, and that's that would be, uh, you know, for a team that, for better or worse, is going to have to eventually build up a farm system so they have homegrown, sustainable talent. You know those first-round picks are really valuable. Well, they've
2: so. hit the, the last four years. Their drafts have gone really well. Set aside the idiot Donovan Tate, but their drafts have been good. And based on what they used as bargaining chips, that's that's the proof in the pudding yeah. that all those kids that they traded with their draft picks over the last group of years that succeeded. And guys have hired in this front office have got a pretty good track record. Logan White has a really good track record. Welke and the whole contingent from Texas. I mean. The Rangers may be a, a weird franchise and have had a lot of problems, but one thing they, they have is an awful lot of young farm system players that have arrived. Yeah. And, you know, you got to believe that what, what Preller and Welkie and these other guys have accomplished in Dallas-Fort Worth, they can duplicate in San Diego, which means you pour more notably Caribbean Latin players into the system and you get better and better as you go. So I'm quietly optimistic. I mean... I guess all we really care about is, is 2015, uh, and I, I think 2015 could really be a fun season. And we'll let the baseball guys take their blueprint and see what they do for 16 and 17.
0: So, uh, if, let's, let's say if Quadres, let's say you were in charge of the Quadres, and they had this $20 million sitting around, or uh, they gave you free reigns to make one more deal this offseason, uh, what need would you address?
2: So you, gotta, you have to find out who's available, one. Secondly, how you value the player coming in the door compared to what you might have to give up to get one. If I could move Carlos Quentin to the American League for a, a double-A player, I'd probably do it, but i have to pay a chunk of Quentin's salary to get him out of the clubhouse. Are um, you better better served to just hope he can stay healthy one more year and let him walk uh, or give him away for next to nothing? I don't know. Injuries injuries really change your team. you got to have depth. You know, odd move made Maybe have just has never panned out i don't think maybe i like the physical talent but i don't know you know mentally and from a heart standpoint where he really is he's paying a lot of money and not done anything he had at the point they signed him to the big contract extension he was hitting 288 when they signed him and you thought that's going to be a good investment well he hadn't done anything since that half season when he was hitting 288 yeah. and you got you got the off-field mess etc
0: all of those off-season uh... Extensions worked out horribly. Lukey, yeah, Mayman, Hunley, all of them. I don't think any of them are going to make it through that
1: deal. The only thing they got out of that is uh, their names to stick on the back of the replica jerseys that year. Yeah. For, well, a,
2: you know, at the away. point they at the point they signed those guys, those guys are playing pretty well. Oh, okay. I mean, Lukey had pitched. He had that half year. Yeah. He pitched really competitively as a top of the end rotation guy.
1: Oh, we oh, loved Lukey. Yeah, and but
2: he's it. just he's a kid that's just has just got a terrible cloud of injury. Yeah over him, and he's a good kid, and he was a vibrant pitcher, I don't know if he'll ever be the same pitcher again, and they have to they've had a black cloud that just will not go away it staggers me, guys, over the chunk of years, the last good team they had, remember it was the independent race to the final day of the Mm -hmm. season, 2010. their their starting pitchers made every start from opening day to Labor Day weekend, the John Garlands of the world, did not miss any start, you know, since that point in time, they had 12 pitching surgeries in 17 months, 12 including every one of their top young guys. They don't understand why. They've done research. They can't figure it out. Uh, I talked extensively to Luke on my own, just as friends, because I knew him from at Ohio State. Uh-huh. And we talked about the preponderance of pitching injuries. Last year alone, there were 35 elbow surgeries from opening day to Labor Day in the major leagues. In the 35 pitchers... Um, At the end of the day, my theory, and he kind of buys a piece of it because he did this. My theory is everybody needs to get bigger in baseball. So everybody is doing supplements. Now, I'm talking legal. I'm not talking HGH, steroids. I'm talking legal supplements. And he kind of admitted it. Um, Everybody uses the supplements. It's fanatical in weight training. So, therefore, everybody's bigger in the upper body. Everybody's bigger in the core areas. Mm -hmm. That allows them to have more power as they pitch. The only thing that doesn't get bigger, regardless of whether you use supplements or not, tendons, elbows, yeah, ligaments. ligaments yeah. You're putting much more stress on those on those parts, which is leading to all the elbow ligament tears. And I asked Corey, I said, do you think that's right? He says, well, everybody wants guys who can throw 97. He said, I threw 91 with breaking balls and whatever. Right. He said, "Before I got hurt, I was up to 94, or 95." Huh. He and he says maybe that's the theory. I asked Aaron with the exact same thing. Now, granted, there are there are there are issues like pitch counts, what you do between starts, what you do in the off season. That all weighs into the equation of maybe guys breaking down. But I think these guys are so much bigger, such more physical, and the and the violence of the act of pitching now is putting such stress on the ligaments and tendons, which are not bigger and stronger. They are what they are, and I think that's the reason this has happened. So San Diego's just, it's been horrible. I mean, have 12 surgeries in 17 months on all your young pitchers. Now, some of that includes the Jason Marquis and the Dustin Moseleys of the world. (laughs) Dustin
1: Mosley, I forgot about Dustin Mosley. I think Dustin Mosley is half of those arm injuries, right?
2: Well, he had two. (laughs) He had two surgeries. But if you go through a checklist of all the young pitchers, I mean, it's
0: horrible. Even the ones that ended up making it, like Tim Stoffer, they had injuries too. You know, like not just the ones that you know we trade for like Casey Kelly gives us twenty innings and then has two elbow injuries. But like even the ones that we draft and you know develop and they they still get hurt, even at the major league level. So it'd be really nice to see yeah, a stable of arms stay healthy for a whole season. But when you're going into spring training with Andrew Catcher and Tyson Ross as two of those you know Big arms are counting on the odds of that happening are low.
1: Erlen's had arm injuries in the yeah. past, and last year
0: we, you know, we went in there with Josh Johnson. It's like when your strategy is using guys with a history of arm injuries, you're probably not going to get through the season without them. So. I I was appalled when I gave Josh
2: Johnson an eight million dollar deal. Should have been it should have been four million four million in incentives, and it should have been insured, and it wasn't insured. I was appalled. You know, he said it was a good investment. I said, based on what? He had had two surgeries. How could you make an eight million investment? And, and JJ's a good guy. He's oh, he's fiercely competitive.
1: Yeah, very good. And Performed
2: he, well in spring training too.
1: Yeah. I mean, he gave us a lot of hope last year.
2: I mean, he had he had one stretch in Miami. He was thirty-one and fourteen. Yeah, over a two and a half year
1: period before he broke down. But to give him that kind of contract, so but but that was the Padres' mo: is find guys like him. Uh, they, I mean, they've done it before. I mean, Mark Pryor works for the front office now. How, how we stuck with Mark Pryor for several years, you know, hoping he would come.
2: But that the Pryor thing was minimum salary. He
0: was
1: that's millions. That's he
2: was different. Millions. That's different than what they gave Josh Donaldson. Very much, yeah. And
0: kind of off topic. Uh, I guess shifting the topic, but you know, Mark Pryor. Part of the reason I think they brought him in was you know, the San Diego ties, and he had like a deep community tie, and everyone wanted to see Mark Pryor pitch for the Padres as soon as he came up for the Cubs. Similarly, you know, Stephen Strasburg in Washington is now a trade rumor. Uh, Do you think there's any chance at all he ends up getting traded to the Padres? The price tag to get somebody like that is going to be really extensive.
2: Washington's got a problem because Washington's got all these contracts that are coming up simultaneously, and they don't think they can re-sign everybody. So, you know, maybe Jordan Zimmerman goes, or maybe
0: Strasburg goes.
2: Both of those guys have
0: had surgeries. Um, would, I, would you compromise our farm system? I mean, would you trade Austin Edges and Hunter Renfro, oh and, and Matt Musler or, Stephen, or Strasburg. Stephen Strasburg? Is that something you would consider? I guess I'd consider it, but the problem
2: is, now what are you, you going to have to sign Strasburg on top of the Kennedy?
1: Well, we'll never sign him it. on it's top of Andrew. But we Keshe. get two
2: years if we get two years of it. If we get it. It's it, it's worth investigating, but in the bigger picture.
1: How many more kids in the farm system are you going to trade? You've got to have some young guys in the pipeline. But is it worth? I mean, is it worth it to win a World Series this year? Flags fly forever. Yeah, you know, the Mar- now- this was the Marlins' strategy. You know, build a team for one year, destroy it for six years, and then win another World Series. I mean, the Potteries basically did this when they traded Derek Lee
0: for Kevin Brown, if you you know recall. I mean, they did very similar. Derek Lee was a super highly regarded. Yeah. prospect. I think right he was 13th in Baseball America yeah. that season going into it. Uh, you know, for one year of Kevin Brown, when we traded for him, we knew there was no way in hell we were ever going to sign him. You know, he had a ERA under two in Florida the year before. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are hoping for that Kevin Brown type move right now. And if if it's Strasburg, a guy you get for two years as opposed to one, plus the hometown ties, maybe he wants to stay here. You know, I think those are all things that might work in our favor. And I think most people would be thrilled, even if it costs, you know, Hedges and Whistler. And I'm. I'm as big as a, of a prospect guy as there basically is, but I think at this point, with this roster, you know, I think you just go for it.
2: Well, you'll go for it, but then a year and a half from now, if they're broken down again, or they walk as free agents, what are you going to be saying then? Well, I, then and you're going to be beefing again. I don't know, yeah, well,
1: because part of what you've talked about in the change of Padres is that the team never tries. Yeah. We never really go for it. So, I, in my opinion, as a fan... I can see that the team is going for it with that kind of move. And if it fails, it's better than what Burns was doing. It's, and, be, it's better than bringing in no one, you know? And another piece of the puzzle is, you know, we just spent a first-round pick on
0: Renfro. You know, if you went out and you got, I don't know, Johnny Cueto, for example, for Renfro and some other package, Well, when Cueto leaves next year, you, you get a first-round pick back in return. So you really... You know, all you would be losing there are the guys he packaged with Pro. Now, I don't think he's available for just pro or else it would have happened already, in my opinion. But, you know, there is this compensation factor to it now that I think is significant. You know, the so- only
2: problem with the compensation factor is, now we're going back to, well, down road, and oh my goodness, this guy at, at Lake Elsinore is having a hell of a season, but he won't be here for four years. He'll have to suffer. You know, yeah. Kansas, in Kansas City... How great was it to see Royals baseball last year in Pittsburgh two years ago? It's great. How great was it to see? But do you know the suffering they went through for 29 years in Kansas City? I'm well aware. We're going through it here. (laughs) Well, well, not yet. I I haven't gone gone to it to the the extent that Kansas City went through or what Pittsburgh went through. You you can go for broke, but gee, what happens in the following five years?
1: That's true, but they went for broke. They traded for James Shields. They traded Will Myers for James Shields. They, They went for it and. It didn't happen, didn't pay off the year after, but it, you know, yeah. I, I would argue if I was a Royals fan, I would say it paid off last year.
0: I mean, we've won one playoff game in 16 years, so I mean, we're not that far away from being, from entering <laughs> yeah, Royal yeah. Pirates territory, <laughs> you know?
2: I, I, you could be bold, but you don't want to be bold so much because otherwise you destroy your organization. And I, now, maybe the flip side is that you've got great confidence at Preller and Welkie are going to be able to duplicate in the draft here what they did in Texas.
1: Or international market, too. But that requires spending money, which they've shown that they will not spend money.
2: So. Well, that's not true, though. In the farm system, they poured. The reason the reason December was so fascinating this December was because of what they spent the last three years prior. I mean, they signed all those draft picks, and they, they spent more money in minor league acquisitions than anybody. Now, I'd like to see them expand on the international scene. I want to see them be a player in Cuba. I wanna you know I don't know that for some reason they don't seem to have as much interest in Japan or, or Taiwan. But that's where good organizations you remember Akinori Atsuka? Yeah. The greatest quirky spokesman in history. They're they're making other organizations are making those commitments to do that. So they have to you know, the Dominican Academy's been a disaster. Um, there's lots yeah. of integral reasons why that's not worked out. Maybe that's about to change. Have you, heard, have you heard any reasons
1: about why that why we're having trouble with that Dominican have, facility? I
2: was told they're having trouble because of the location of their facility. Wrong side of the island.
1: Is it? Yes. yes. Okay. It's,
2: it's way out. It's tough to draw kids to come live in their complex. It's, that, that's been one of the real negatives. There's been talk about selling that facility to somebody who wants to build hotels there and relocating. this. explained to me there's four or five major league facilities in one area in the Dominican and they're the ones that are sucking in all these players. Hmm. And a mistake was made when they located the Padre facility way up. I think it's like on the north side, but it's way out, and you, it's tough to go get kids to commit to move to live out hmm. in hinterland. So that may that may happen a year, two years from now. That there'll be a change of where they locate that facility. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Well, the team loves talking about how great their facility is. That's yeah, but they been haven't got a favorite favorite great results. To yeah, yeah I mean, we're gonna
0: get Reimer Liriano's on the cusp. You know, it's. It's tough to talk about the results because you're talking about 16, 17-year-old guys. It's a lottery You know, we opened it, what, seven years ago? So now they're finally, I guess maybe their first year of the Academy didn't work out, but maybe their second or third year when they got Reimer Liriano will work out because he's still really young. I mean, it's it's difficult to say that all these 17-year-old guys they, you know, bought, I guess, bought or signed haven't worked out because they're still too young to know whether or not they've all worked out. So... Yeah, I guess when, you, we'll when you
2: see, though, when you, when you go back and look at the standings, and their teams are 3-24, you say, boy, you don't have a good crop of players down there. How are they come? that bad? Well, they were. There were chunks of time in the last couple of years. They were really, really bad. But, you know, my, my whole theory is that uh, it takes time to develop them. I'm not going to call it a crapshoot. Uh, but to a degree it is because you're taking 16-, 17-year-old cultural kids and trying to grow him. Yeah. and that's that's a real challenge uh, you know Liriano might be the first one but I mean think think about this uh, within a year and a half we might have Liriano and, and Renfro as components
1: absolutely yeah. yeah so
2: I mean and you got Hedges who's going to be behind home plate within half a season probably do you so. think
0: his bat will develop Hedges
2: what's his primary responsibility one defense, yeah, defense. two can call the game correctly with the pitchers he's a real intellectual kid Number three, if dude hits more than 220, that's that's icing on the cake. Now he hasn't he hasn't hit with any consistency anywhere in the minors, but they're not. I don't think there was concerned about that because the priorities one and priorities two, they really love. Is, My guess is that, is, that, that, is that the right
0: priority though. I mean, I one thing I like to do is I like to go look at the World Series winning rosters and what they had. And if you go back the last ten years, a lot of them were good glove guys like Yadier Molina, for example. But almost all of them could hit. You know, Buster Posey has three rings and he's one of the best hitters in baseball. Catcher Yadier Merlina, Jorge Posada, uh, uh, the
1: Royals guy even uh, Salvador, Salvador Torres, Perez. Yeah. You
0: know all these, the teams that are but actually that's going four far out of the, thirty-two. Right, I'm saying but, the teams but, that but actually but have they gone repeatedly far in the are winning World Serieses. The, the that. teams that have gone far in the postseason all have strong offensive catchers.
1: Um, going back a and pretty from, far. From time. listening to you, i, I mean, in the past. I think I know. We probably differ on our opinions if he has and Grandal, but. We said on the podcast, I, I we thought he added a lot of value to the team as a, as a plus hitter. Um, How
2: do you know he's been hurt for a year and a half? You well, know, even last, t- year. even, t- half even last, last year, even last year, I would argue
1: he was a plus hitter as far as cash well.
2: Towards came the up. end, he was, but you know, he, he struggled defensively with the knee. Can't throw anybody out, but, you know. I, I and I like the kid, but can frame pitches for sure. Yeah, but I, I told people in LA. And they're all excited. I said, Well, when he can only throw out 13% of the base runners in the running wild, well, that means and Derek add add who add can't add throw any balls so into it, too. So he's a good guy, and it'll be interesting to see because he did finish up, he hit the ball very well. It'll be interesting to see what he does this coming season in terms of his defense. Will it get better now that he's had he'll be a year and a half out from the knee surgery? Well,
1: I've got one last question. Um, so Hacksaw, you've made the trend. You've kind of straddled the edge. Um, You know, obviously, you've had decades as a traditional media host on the radio, on TV, uh, you know, play-by-play, and now you're kind of um, you're working for Channel Six as far as a weekend sports anchor. Um, But you've also got uh, a new media presence, if you will. You're on Twitter. You've got uh, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You're posting a podcast every day, Um, and I guess my question is, what's your view of is How are blogs doing as far as covering things like the Padres? You've got Gaslamp Ball, Padres Public, Intelligence, Friarhood, a huge number of people on Twitter covering the team. Um, Do you think that new media, blog outlets, podcasts are starting to overtake traditional media? Um, I mean, I can say probably not as far as earning power for those new media uh, types, but as far as quality of coverage, do you think that they are starting to match... Uh, what you see on the radio. I mean, blogs are pretty much unlimited in page space. We're not limited by you know commercial breaks, time on the on the air. And we can talk about whatever we want. Yes. literally whatever we want. We have right. no vested interest right. in, in talking. Uh, about I don't have Mike D telling me he's going to pull sponsors from GwinIntelligence.com. Yeah. I think my my
2: gut feel is it's, it's a very different world that we're in right now. Um, who's got time to do all this? To read all this? listen to all this you'd be surprised well i'd be surprised i guess um i still th- i still think the day-to-day medium be it talk show radio at 12 noon or tv anchors uh are, are, and 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 the beat writers and the newspapers and the internet with the beat writers and access to them i still think that's the prevalent way nothing wrong with blogs yeah you have to it out Who's got credibility? Versus, I mean,
1: anybody can write a blog. You, me, well, like that's plumber, true, the garbage man. I mean, anybody I, can do that. I hear that a lot. But at this point, you've got, you know, some established blog outlets that are there. That even the Padres are interfacing with. Um, you know, you've got Gaslamp Ball pulling incredible traffic. Padres Public has come on the scene. Where Fox Sports San Diego is putting them on TV on Social Hour. Uh, we have not been invited to much, but uh, we'll get there. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. Here. I just,
2: it's just a different world, and that's okay with me. I'm
1: at some point, day. do you think that blogs will be fully credentialed by the Padres? Because some teams have done that. The Nationals have given six credentials out to blogs covering them. The Angels uh, are credentialing bloggers. Uh, for me, this has been a pet, a pet issue. Um, I put in a request for a press credential. As did I. Yeah, you requested one for the Kemp. You asked uh, Wayne Partello, actually, about yep. the, the Kemp um, press conference, yep. which you were at. I mean, at some point, do you believe, believe there's room for blogs to have that kind of access to to a degree? The but the clubs to... will
2: then make the decision whether they're credible blogs or just fans wanting access. You can't you can't have 200 people in the clubhouse every day. It's just right. it's impossible.
1: I mean, it's but again, when you look at the blog landscape of the Padres specifically, you've got a select few um, number of blogs that are covering the team extensively. And know. I guess, I guess, as an extension of
0: that, what do you mean by you know? Wh- define credible. You know, when, do you, when does a blog become credible?
2: Do you have Do you have access to the people? Are you there actually as a reporter, or are you sitting in the basement of your home when you're not fixing leaks in my roof
1: blogging? But the Padres are the gatekeeper to that access, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a chicken or egg type situation. Um, I don't have any doubts that, you know, Gaslamp Ball would send J-Box or one of their people out, out to a press conference if they were given access to it, but... The Padres have made a management decision to limit access to, I guess, you know, newspaper, radio, TV. Um, I guess I'm curious as to when when that would change. You know?
2: I just think you have to keep doing what you can do in the best real estate they give you to do it in and maybe prove yourself as you go, and then maybe that will open up the door. You know, I can't imagine, for example, what it's like to be the PR director of the Yankees me because you got, you got the, everybody's out there blogging, and, you, and you've got now separate entity media websites, NewJersey.com, in addition to the Newark Star-Ledger and the Trenton Times, and then all the New York newspapers. So it's, it's really tough to draw a line as to who should get in and who shouldn't get in, and I don't have the answers to that, but I know it's, it's really cumbersome.
1: I guess I'm always found kind it of curious. Um, you know, Jay Paris, for instance, he's, he used to write for the Union Tribune, yeah? Um, he doesn't write for them anymore. He represents himself. Um, he does write for the Coast News, which is, is a free newspaper, represents Etsy News, Lacadia, Cardiff. But he's granted a press um, credential to cover um, you know, news events. So you can go in the locker room, you can do whatever. Well, he's Whereas, also
2: doing Freelance at 1090 yes, on their website. So. And he's doing Bleacher Report, and he's doing... Sports Exchange, yeah. which and, have been accredited by and, MLB.
1: And I'm not trying to, to, to downplay what he's doing. He's certainly an accomplished journalist. But at some point, I think when you look at the traffic that a gas lamp ball, Padres public, intelligence is bullying, that it, to, it, may be, it, it may be worth it to the Padres to open up um, the locker room. To, I think to the best thing coverage. that the, the
2: groups ought to get together and then have a sit-down with the Padres and say, this is who we are, this is what we do on a weekly basis or day-in, day-out basis. We'd like to be credentialed in some form or fashion, maybe maybe one time per homestand or one weekend per year. And, and see if if you can collectively go in and get them to rotate credentials to give you guys an opportunity. But the problem is, does my plumber, who's a huge Yankee fan, writes a blog, does, does he have a right to be at the ballpark? I don't know. That's the issue. You can't have... You can't have Well, I don't know, but photos. it's
1: very easy to look up metrics on on different websites to see Twitter followers, uh, traffic rankings. Uh, there's Alexa rankings as far as you know quality, number of hits. So I I hear that argument sometimes, but I'm not sure it holds any any merit when it's easily verifiable as to what to what degree someone is attracting.
2: Uh, well, viewers. I'll, you know, I'll invite all your people to sample my website. It's www.rehacksawhamilton.com. It's, yes, it's more than just baseball. I do a lot of different things. I do four different pages every day. Uh, I write columns and notes and blogs and, podcast, and the podcast. The podcast I hacksaw headlines, headlines and, all every that. Day. and of course, now I'm also working at TV6 to, as their lead weekend anchor, sports anchor in the ten o'clock news, both Saturday and Sunday. And that's step one towards. Maybe some other things along the way. So I'll invite your people to be,
1: be part of what I do too. Absolutely, yeah. I, I guess I have one closing thing. I, in my opinion, um, I, I can't. I went to bat for a Hacksaw a few weeks ago on Twitter, um, and I, I do truly consider him one of the definitive voices of San Diego sports. And I think there are some people out there. Um, you know, it's well known. I think Brady Phelps from com is. Um, He's very vocal on his opinion on you. And in general, through your history, you've been very divisive. Uh, I remember Fritz Quint was a, uh, a reporter for the UT San Diego who covered media, who sometimes had some negative things to say. Um, the UT more recently has been critical. Uh, why? Why? I, I mean, you're I a definitive voice. You know, when you think back to Charger Super Bowls and, and just coverage of San Diego sports, voices that have been there for decades that... People like me and Marver have grown up with, you know, or from childhood to now. Why? Why you? And it's not just you, actually. Lightner, I think, has some some of that same bipolarity as far as what people think of him.
2: Uh, I think it's very convenient. One of the po- one of the positive things about Twitter is you can get access to lots of information as it's breaking. One of the negative things about Twitter is anybody can have an account and take shots true and i don't have a problem with anybody criticizing what i do but when you criticize me non-stop day in day out week after week years after years that means you got an agenda yeah that means you're trying to take a shot at me because i'm a public person i pretty much don't care what you think about me because my career speaks for itself in terms of awards and how I'm viewed in the community and the amount of money I made and, Mm -hmm. quote,
1: celebrity status. I mean, you've got a Wikipedia entry. you know.
2: So so my theory is I don't care what the critics say. But if you want to have credibility with me, you better be fair to me. And and, because I'm not a negative person, I don't live in a negative world. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be negative about me every minute of every day, then we're going to have a real problem. And at the end of the day I'm just doing the job the way I think it should be done if you like it great it's real easy to take shots at a celebrity status person do you dare say that to me in my face sitting here on this patio no you probably wouldn't so hopefully because we've spent an extensive amount of time today doing this podcast maybe your opinion of me changes and I don't give a damn what Slob Shots thinks. And I don't care what the YouTube <laughs> thinks. I'm doing the best I can, and my formula has been pretty successful. Yeah. So, But, I, you know, Twitter's neat. It's really different. Uh, websites are neat. It's really different. And the technology of our industry has changed. I feel sad for what's happened to the media. I know so many good guys are out of jobs, myself included, for a chunk of time terrible. Mm-hmm. You could start a great sports staff for a newspaper, you could start another good radio just station. Locally, locally Jim, with know, all the, co- all the yeah, quality guys that are out of job. Uh, it's just it's just a very tough time. But the bottom line for me is say what you say, just be fair to me. And if you're not fair to me then we're not going to be
0: friends and I won't have I don't have the time
2: of day for you. Period exclamation point. That's what's going on in sports. That's what, <laughs> what Lee Hamilton thinks.
0: Alright well I really enjoyed this. We'll probably have to do this at some point in time, maybe during the season, catch back up. Uh, one final question, though, because uh, you know we probably won't meet before the season starts. Give me a win total for the Padres' 2015 season.
2: If they're not playing in October, I'm going to be really disappointed. Really disappointed. I, I think they'll compete. I think the Giants will no longer be the same. The, the innings, injuries have piled up in that pitching staff, and they're going to miss the Panda Bear, and to a degree, they're going to miss Mike Morse. The Dodgers are not going to be the same. Of course! <laughs> They're going to miss Hanley. They're going to miss, obviously, Matt Kemp. I think the challenge for the Dodgers going to the Cactus League, make Yasiel Puig a player every day of the year, get rid of the lows in his, his performance, get more consistency to his performance. And and I think the Padres, if, if things work like they think they can work, will be a pretty good team. And, if, you know, it's a pretty good team, 90 wins. Hey, that'd be kind of cool, considering what what they've accomplished the last couple of years with a fractured roster beset by injury. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what this year is going to be like, and then how it plays into 2016. Because we'll go back to what we said earlier in this get together: risk versus reward. But appreciate the opportunity, and yes, we'll do this during during yeah. the season. Thank Thanks you very good. much.
1: Good luck. Good luck uh, on TV. Actually, My pleasure. Tonight. Guys, good luck yeah. on the website. And as everything. Go Padres. Go Padres.